Welcome everyone, I'm Jeffrey Goodman, Director of Marketing and Development for the YMCA of Northwest Louisiana. We're here at 318 Latino Studios for Shreveport Bossier, my city, my community, my home. And we have super special episode today. It's only the second time we've had a co-host. So today's episode will be co-hosted by Christy Gustafson, CEO of Community Foundation of North Louisiana. And our guest today is Laura Baxter from LSU Health. Shreveport. Thank you both so much for being here with us. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Absolutely. Can't wait. So um, before we start, I will say I think these are two of the most important people in our community. So I'll just leave it at that. Okay. Goodness. All right. Um, so Laura, our first question today is, if you would please define adverse childhood experiences mm -hmm or ACEs as they're commonly known, and why do they matter? Okay, um, so adverse childhood experiences is a, is a, a term coined by um, two researchers in the late 90s, and they used this description to describe 10 types of hardships that children can face in childhood. <clears throat> um, this by no means is an exhaustive list. It doesn't include every type of hardship that a child can face, but this was the focus of their original study. And what they found was that um, as the number of these negative Question. traumatic events increased, as children experienced more hardship in childhood, so then did their risk for poor health outcomes go up. It increased um, similarly so it really was a landmark study and it changed the paradigm of medicine as we know it today um, we began to realize that many diseases and health conditions um, might be interrelated and coming from a single root cause um, we know that seven of the ten leading causes of death as identified by the CDC, are correlated to the number of adverse events in childhood. Wow. Okay. Well, that's amazing. So, Laura, why do some of us thrive despite adversity while others um, are overwhelmed or don't thrive by similar circumstances? In a nutshell, it is um, a bank of personal resources that we have that makes us resilient or able to withstand hardships. Um, none of us are really born with these resources, but the good news is we can build them at any time, at any age. Um, it is ideal if they begin to be built in us at, at the earliest point in time. Um, but those resources include safe, stable, and nurturing relationships, um, coping skills, the ability to manage negative emotions, and what we call capabilities or the things that we do for fun, our interest-driven activities. Excellent. So Overall, do you think our community, um, and you can narrow it down to Caddo Parish if you want, mm -hmm. Caddo Bossier, North Louisiana, do you think it's a resilient community? Um, and you've already said, you know, resilience can be built. Mm -hmm. So explain that to us. 
I think we have the potential to be resilient. I think there are signs that many of our children um, lack resilience in their lives, lack opportunities to build resilience, but we all know, I think the three of us know that there's no shortage of caring adults in this community. Um, and sadly, there are scores of children who desperately need support from those caring adults. Um, the American Academy of Pediatrics says that relational health is the single greatest protective factor against these negative outcomes of adverse childhood experiences. So for the layperson, what does relational health explain that? Good question. Um, it's, it's really your support system. It is, um, you know, who do you call when times are hard or you need some help? If you think about that list of people that you know you can lean on and trust who have your back, um, that is, you know, that's the single greatest source of your resilience. And um, many children may not have a stable caregiver in their home, but the good news is it doesn't have to be inside the family. The research is pointing to the fact that um, for children who have two non-parent caring adults in their lives, um, their outcomes are much better. So that could be anyone, a neighbor, a teacher, a coach. And um, we didn't really define your role with LSU Health Report. So uh, you are the director, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. um, for the Institute for Childhood Resilience or ICR as it's yeah, commonly known. That's right. So. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about the services provided by ICR? Um, also, sure. when did it start and what is the genesis, if you could, behind its formation? Sure. The genesis was a conversation with Dr. James Patterson, who is the chair of the Department of Psychiatry and Behavioral Health. And I had um, been in the audience for a lecture that he gave about the growing problem of mental illness in our community and the inadequacies of the typical responses. Um, and what year are we talking about approximately? 2020, okay. actually. Um, so a lot was going on in the world at that point in time, and that net of adversity widened to include everyone. We suddenly began to realize that um, there was a need to build resilience and these protective factors in everyone's lives. So <clears throat> from that conversation with Dr. Patterson, we um, developed an idea to start the Institute for Childhood Resilience. And the intention is really to promote policy change within this community and, and honestly across our state to um, educate, evaluate, um, and promote best practices within organizations that serve children and families. Can you give me an example mm -hmm. of, a, sure. a, of a policy change or a potential policy change? I can. Um, our focus, we really um, hope to focus as much of our efforts on prevention as well as intervention. It's very easy to be distracted by the big problems that many people face in our community and to use all your efforts on that. Um, but 
so within that category of intervention, I would say that one of the most important projects we've been focused on is um, the, the reforming of our crisis response system in this community. In other words, what happens when you call 911 and the reason for the call is a person in distress, but not committing a crime or causing a disturbance, but someone who's obviously got a need, um, and it may be obvious that that's a mental health need. Um, in the past, our system has been imperfect to respond. Um, the only response historically has been a police officer in a uniform with a gun, arriving in a vehicle um, with lights going off and sirens. Um, and as you can imagine, if a person is already scared and upset, that's not likely to be a calming uh, factor on the scene. Excellent. So when I first took my position at Community Foundation, you were the person who introduced me to the concept of adverse childhood experiences. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> and you should get credit for introducing that concept to many people in our community. So mm -hmm. specifically, you were instrumental in ensuring that every person that works for Caddo Parish Schools um, is ACES trained. Mm -hmm. So um, tell me about why you did that and then, you know, why that's important. So um, several years ago, actually, I can tell you what year. It was 2017. Um, a friend, a dear friend, reported an incident of corporal punishment in a school setting um, and the recipient of that corporal punishment was a very young child, a kindergarten student. And this friend was horrified that this was happening. And she came to me and said, what do we do about this? And um, to make a long story short, we went to talk to Dr. Gorey about it. Um, and he explained to us that this was a historical practice that was in place when he um, was placed in his position, and he was equally concerned. Let me interrupt one second. Corporal mm -hmm. punishment, we mm -hmm. just defined, because mm -hmm. I know there are going to be sure. people out there listening. Yeah, going, spanking. Okay. Spanking as a discipline um, method in okay. the school. perfect. Yeah. And that's a, that was, at the time, a statewide mm -hmm. historical practice, yeah. not just here. Yeah. Right. Not just here. It was statewide. Um, and... So as we talked to Dr. Gorey and other leaders in the education system, it became clear that there was going to need to be a grassroots approach um, providing education to people about what adverse childhood experiences are and the impact um, that they can have on a child's development and how possibly corporal punishment could add to that ACE load rather than be a th rather than um, an alternative, which might, you know, otherwise be a therapeutic response. So we recruited about 35 people from the community and asked the state office of um, the Bureau of Family Health, I believe is the portion of the Department of Health that oversees ACE trainings and we asked them if they would come here and train all these people 
and they had never done this in a region and so they did they agreed to do it and we began to try to saturate the community with ace trainings and go and give these talks wherever we could um, and ultimately um, Caddo Parish Schools developed a plan to become a trauma-informed school district um, and I believe corporal punishment was abolished in 2021 so that was um, a wonderful thing to hear but there was still more work to be done um, we wanted to to educate um, folks about the notion that there are many therapeutic responses that we can have when children's behavior gives us a clear sign that something's not right in their lives so and what's an example of a therapeutic response um, well when a child is feeling in danger for any particular reason we say that their emergency brain is activated and what we want to help them do is activate their safety brain um, no one can learn well when they're in fight-or-flight response mode um, your only thoughts are of survival and for a child who's been in emergency brain for too long those skills are well honed and these and I use the term skills loosely because what we're referring to is aggression, um, oftentimes avoidance, um, other responses that are not necessarily functional um, or, or healthy for themselves or other people around them. So um, in some schools, uh, I believe University Elementary was the first place to start this, um, we have calming studios, places where kids can go to de-escalate and to get themselves in safety brain so that they can relax and focus their attention and learn challenging material like multiplying fractions or whatever it is they may be focused on. So I have a question to kind of qualify what you're talking about when you defined adverse childhood experiences we didn't you didn't give a specific list of those and right. of course I know them but and you know them but <clears throat> I'm thinking the listener <clears throat> might not know what would cause a kid to be what what could cause a kid at home to be an emergency brain and carry mm -hmm. emergency brain from home sure. to school can you give an example yeah you know let's just say a child witnesses domestic violence that morning or he or she has been the victim of physical or sexual abuse um, you know those are three of the um, list of ten possible aces that a child can experience and the truth is most of us do not have an ACE score of zero the way the study worked was that people were given a questionnaire to complete and if you had ever experienced one of these negative events, you got a score of one. And the most you could score on it, obviously, was a 10, um, regardless of how many times it happened to you. So, um, you know, the, the truth is the prevalence rate of ACEs is really high. Very few people have a zero. 
So thinking about everything that's been accomplished um, with Caddo Schools, and I'm so thankful for you and for them for embracing the trauma-informed model. Um, Where would you go from there? Um, Do you feel like the whole community needs to understand the concept of ACEs? Yes. Um, And if so, in your ideal world, what would that look like? In my ideal world, every child would have an opportunity for childhood. That includes caring people, um, the opportunity to find their passion through interest-driven activities, and an opportunity to learn how to manage strong negative emotions. Um, And the truth is, adversity and stress are going to impact all our lives eventually. Um, so we all need those things in great abundance. Um, but there are many children in our community who don't have the opportunity to do things like learn to play a musical instrument or play on a sports team. Um, you know, and sports experiences are great opportunities to be connected to caring adults and to learn to manage your emotions because you get kicked out of the game if you are aggressive toward another player or toward an umpire. So you've got to learn some social skills in order to play the game that you love. So there's a built-in incentive to practice staying in safety brain and using um, what we called executive function skills, Um, the ability to solve problems in a safe manner and think about another person's perspective. And, and parents listening to this and just general community members mm-hmm. listening to this, like what, what can they do um, with regards to the issue of ACEs mm-hmm. and some of what we've discussed today, making the community more resilient, right. um, some of these topics that we've discussed, what, what, what in general can parents and just people in the community do? Parents, at the simplest level, <clears throat> parents can... Um, get themselves and their children involved in group community experiences um, such as events that may take place in community centers or at the library. There are lots of opportunities out there, but people don't fully understand how very important these things are for the emotional well-being of children and adults. We see fun and play as frivolous and honestly something you do when you have nothing else to do. And in fact, it's really the nutrition of our emotional well-being. Um, So those kinds of community events or places that create opportunities to get to know people, for your children to form relationships with caring adults um, and to learn a skill or find a new interest, those are invaluable things. But we need to make them accessible to all children, and they're not. Because they're not affordable or they require transportation. It's usually money or transportation that are the barriers. So we've been talking a lot about children, and I want to take your focus to um, young children. And you once said, there's a great opportunity for learning but there's also a great possibility for damage during those young years. Mm -hmm. So why 
is the first five years of life so important sort of the sweet spot for um it's this period of neuroplasticity that we are all in in the first five years of life and what we mean by that is that our brain is far from fully mature when we're born it's still developing um there is an explosive amount of learning that's going on at all times for children and ironically all this happens before formal education begins um but we are constantly learning um, both healthy and unhealthy things, positive and negative things through our experiences. And so um, in the best of conditions, children can learn and develop and be supported by caring adults and pursue the things that they're interested in and be curious um, and have support from an adult to help them manage their emotions because toddlers are terrible at managing their emotions. <laughs> they need a, what we call a co-regulator because they can't regulate their emotions by themselves. But if a toddler grows up and never learns those skills, they end up perhaps incarcerated in the worst situations um, because the things that a toddler does when they're frustrated can get you arrested as an adult. So it's important for every child to, whenever possible, to grow up in a safe environment and then to have those um, enrichment experiences that we've talked about, um, what we call extracurricular activities. Or for kids under five, I'm teeing this up because yeah. you know I love it, early childhood education, preschool. Right, yeah. High quality preschool. Right, that's... Um, <laughs> That is a wonderful opportunity in our community for children who may not otherwise have access um, because of those barriers of transportation and cost to these um, rich experiences and also to build relationships with caring adults. And both of y'all have been instrumental uh, to that end, so I commend you very much in your yeah. efforts. This is our final set question we keep the conversation going forever um it is a long question so hang in there okay. with me like christy's last question i'm gonna start with a quote of yours you once said every child in this community deserves a childhood mm -hmm. uh let's say someone's listening they're a parent uh, and they say i'm a parent i have a low aces score mm -hmm. why as a community member should i care about other people in my community who have high aces scores mm -hmm. um so that's my first question. Okay. Kind of next part of this is how are we doing a better job in our community recognizing trauma mm -hmm. and how are we doing a better job building resilience? Okay. So I have to give credit where credit is due. Dr. Jack Shonkoff of the Harvard Center on the Developing Child once said, we all have a stake in the healthy development of every child. Um, we all want, whether we know it or not, we want every child to achieve success in this community. We want them to grow up and be ready to be contributors to the community, to participate in the workforce, to have their own sustainable living wage job. Um, conversely, if they don't have those opportunities, they are likely to end up in poverty. 
um, without that opportunity for a sustainable living wage job. Uh, the risk is there for um, a dropout in school and a person's um, occupational choices are very limited um, without at least a high school diploma. So I think when someone who is privileged enough to have advantages for their child will think about the impact of those who don't have advantages and suddenly you realize that affects all of us when one child does not reach his or her potential um, we will all be impacted in some form or fashion by that child um, i can make an argument that um, i can make an argument to those who care about the well-being and the emotional um, and, the, and the success opportunities for, for every child. I could also make an argument to someone who cares about their pocketbook. Um, how do you want your tax dollars spent? Do you want them spent on infrastructure and roads or do you want them spent on um, dealing with social problems like crime and substance abuse? And when you say the expense is is greater if we don't have the right. prevention in place, yep. the, the expense is greater fixing the problem than trying to prevent the problem. There's a Nobel Prize winning economist, Dr. James Heckman, who has spent his entire career um, studying this issue. And what he says is that there's no greater investment in economic development for a community than investing in young children at the earliest age, really from birth to two, which has um, been a focus point for the work that the Community Foundation has been spearheading. And I'm so proud of what Christy has done and the commitment that they've made. Um, and this is a marathon, not a sprint. I mean, we are planting seeds now that we hope will um, bloom within a generation. So we may all three be sitting home retired when we see the fruits of all that work. And did we cover, uh, just before I kind of turn it back over to y'all, did we cover how we're doing a better job building resilience? Uh, Do we feel like we've talked uh, about that or how we're doing a better job? I think job we're more at... aware. I think as a community, Certainly, people are more aware of what that acronym means, ACEs. That's become a term that, that we hear more often. Um, I think there's a lot of room for action because the ACE study showed us um, some pretty um, daunting outcomes, like um, something that was... Um, you know, in, in many cases, somebody might assume um, meant fatal, um, fatal outcomes for many, but, but actually the ACE study also showed us that even people with a high ACE load, many of them, 45% of that group actually did not have those um, poor health outcomes. They had resilience. They had um, a support system. They had learned how to manage heartbreak and hardship um, because we're all going to have that in our lives. We've got to learn 
we've got to really be putting deposits in our resilience bank all along the way so that when we do experience those things, um, we're not bankrupt. And both of you are far more expert on this entire discussion than I am. Is there anything either of you would like to insert or add to the conversation that we haven't hit on? Again, we have all the time in the world. So, Laura, I was going to, I mean, one thing that's been impactful to me in learning about this space is, um, of course, prevention and then response Mm -hmm. in building resilience. So if you're a parent, why is it important to understand your own ACE score? Mm. And then what should you be on the lookout for relative to parenting your child? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, I think it's important to understand our own ACE score. In the context of this, the common denominator that all ACEs have is that they provoke our stress response system. And that really is the silent killer, if you will. Um, I know that's a dramatic term to use, but when our stress response system is activated too often, then that's when we stay in emergency brain too long. What's happening elsewhere is that our body is flooded with cortisol which is like battery acid if it's doing that for too long. We're only really made to withstand that stress response for about 20 minutes. So we've got to learn how to interrupt it and how important it is to interrupt it, how important it is for us to engage in soothing, peaceful activities like walking in nature or exercising, going to spin class, which Christy teaches. Um, You know, um, the why, you know, as I've learned more and become more aware, I've realized how important resources like the why are for our community. Um, Because every minute spent in community with other people and in movement, um, our deposits in our resilience bank, and they help us interrupt that stress response. So I don't know if I answered your question or not. Well, and but. so, in other words, if you're a parent and you get in an argument with your spouse mm-hmm. in front of your child, I did not answer your you question. You didn't ruin their life. <laughs> right, right. Um, you didn't ruin their life. Um, you need to be aware of your own experiences, but also to know you know, I try to reassure parents in my counseling office that um, you can't prevent hardship and heartbreak, but you can help your child learn how to manage it. Your role is to be that co-regulator of emotions. And rather than suppressing those emotions, helping them to express those in ways that don't hurt themselves or other people. Um, and expression doesn't have to mean you sit in a therapist's office and talk for an hour. It can be painting or music or writing, lots of ways to express those emotions. Um, but parents need to pay attention to this. When a child's response doesn't fit what's going on, then you need to be aware that there may be something else that's troubling them. 
This doesn't mean they've experienced an ACE. But I always say when there's a disproportionate response to a situation, when a child gets much more upset than you think they would if, you know, someone uh, takes a pencil and they need it to do their work. Some other kids just, you know, joking around with them and they fall apart or have an extremely angry response. There's probably something else that's suppressed that's not being talked about. So that's something we want to pay attention to in classrooms as well. Christy, anything else? Laura? I don't think so. Well, I, um, I commend both of you uh, for all you've done for the community. Uh, I, I feel so fortunate to know both of you a little bit and uh, to have gotten to see you in action. So uh, this community is super fortunate to have you and uh, just keep, keep at it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for being my teacher. Oh, and thank you for, you know, I just want to take an opportunity to thank Christy for her commitment to this work. Um, she has been unrelenting and, you know, at times it's discouraging um, when elected officials change and funding commitments change and you have to stay committed to the course. And she has done that. And I'm so proud to hang on to your coattails. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you all.